Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Des Moines Register for Monday, May the 4th, 2020. I'm your reader, Paula Carezzi. Things are changing very quickly, and Iris wants to make sure we provide our listeners with as much information as we can. In order to do that, we've changed our program schedule completely. This schedule will air statewide on all platforms until further notice. We will also include information about resources in your community during each paper. You'll still hear your Des Moines Register each day at 9 a.m., 6 p.m., and 1 a.m. Please listen closely to the following changes for all other newspapers. The Fort Dodge Messenger will be read at 7 a.m., Monday through Friday. The Mason City Globe Gazette will be read at 8 a.m., Monday through Friday. Your Des Moines Register will continue to be read from 9 a.m. to noon. The Cedar Rapids Gazette will be read at noon, seven days a week. The Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier will be read at 1 p.m., seven days a week. The Dubuque Telegraph Herald will be read every Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. The Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil will be read at 3 p.m., Monday through Friday. The Sioux City Journal will be read at 4 p.m., seven days a week. The Ames Tribune will be read at 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. And the Midweek Shopping Cart will be read each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Recordings of all newspapers will be available on our podcast page. Just go to iowaradioreading.org, click Listen Now, then click Listen to Iris Podcasts. The papers are organized by region. Each paper will be available for seven days. Keep yourself safe, and thank you for listening. In today's weather across the state, there will be increasing clouds throughout the day with a growing chance of showers. Highs will be in the high 50s or low 60s with a likelihood of showers overnight. In the state's latest coronavirus update, the Iowa Department of Public Health announces 528 new cases of coronavirus and nine deaths. Another nine people with COVID-19 have died. The Iowa Department of Public Health reported Sunday, bringing the statewide total to 184. The Iowa Department of Public Health also reported that 528 people tested positive for COVID-19, the respiratory disease caused by the coronavirus. Statewide, 9,169 people have tested positive. There are currently 378 people hospitalized and 3,325 Iowans have recovered, according to the news release. The deaths reported Sunday occurred in the following counties. Black Hawk County, two elderly adults, aged 81 or older. Bramer County, one elderly adult, aged 81 or older. Dallas County, one older adult between the ages of 61 and 80. Dubuque, one older adult between the ages of 61 and 80. Polk County, two older adults between the ages of 61 and 80. And Powasheet County, two elderly adults aged 81 or older. On the front page of today's register, Robin Opsel reports some churches resume their in-person services. Quote, let's all share. What's been something you've missed most since this quarantine started? Chris Peterson asked a group of 14 people scattered Sunday throughout the pews at Trinity Baptist Church, each sitting a safe distance from the others. Among the answers shouted back to Peterson, age 28, the son of Trinity Baptist pastor Dudley Peterson, going to stores and restaurants, visiting friends, and seeing family. Quote, being in church, Fran Lenoff said, being back at church Sunday, quote, felt like coming home, end quote. May 3rd was the first Sunday since the coronavirus pandemic hit Iowa that churches and other religious institutions were able to reopen for in-person services. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds announced last week 
that they could begin hosting gatherings as long as social distancing guidelines were observed and cleaning efforts were increased. Many churches, including Reynolds' own church, decided to remain closed and continue with online services to limit the possible spread of COVID-19. But some, like Trinity Baptist Church, have reopened and are taking precautions. Pastor Peterson told churchgoers to wave and smile instead of shaking the hands of their neighbors. Prayers included calls to find, quote, an antidote and vaccine for coronavirus, end quote, and to use the time quarantined to reflect on God. Most of the service, though, felt like any other Sunday. There was a reading from the book of Exodus, hymns, and modern Christian music. Along with the small group gathered in person, over 100 people viewed the service online. Joe Shaw, who does administrative work for the church, said he and other members of Trinity Baptist leadership encouraged people to make the choice of when to return to church for themselves. Everyone has to consider their own safety and boundaries individually, and Sunday's service showed good balance, he said. Quote, everyone was very mindful, very safe in how they approached today's service here, Shaw said. We need to make sure that that continues as people return. We want people to go their own pace to make sure they feel safe and comfortable during this time, but know that they still have a community here that is open and welcoming to them, end quote. Chris Peterson, who helped lead songs Sunday on acoustic guitar, said returning to church was a much-needed mental and spiritual boost for some people. Quote, there's a lot of things that are out of my control or your control with the whole world in this situation, he said. We can do our best with taking care of ourselves, but for those that believe in him, God's in control, and it helps to hear that message, end quote. In national political news, Vice President Pence on his Mayo Clinic visit, I should have worn a mask. This is a story by Michael Collins of USA Today. Vice President Mike Pence said Sunday that he should have worn a face mask when he visited the Mayo Clinic last week. Quote, I didn't think it was necessary, but I should have worn a mask at the Mayo Clinic, Pence said during a Fox News virtual town hall with President Donald Trump at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington. Pence's acknowledgement comes after he was roundly criticized for failing to don one of the protective coverings in an apparent violation of clinic policy when he visited the Minnesota Center last week to meet with staff and patients. Mayo Clinic policy requires, quote, all patients, visitors, and staff to wear a face covering or mask while at Mayo Clinic to guard against transmission of COVID-19, end quote. A post on the Mayo Clinic's Twitter account indicated that Pence had been informed of the masking policy prior to his arrival. That tweet has since been deleted. In a later tweet, the Mayo Clinic said it was, quote, grateful, end quote, for Pence's visit and looked, quote, forward to continued collaboration to develop essential testing and treatment for our patients and communities, end quote. Asked Sunday if his decision to go without a mask was sending mixed signals, Pence stressed that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has been clear that the purpose of wearing a mask is to keep from spreading the coronavirus. Quote, since the president and I are in the unique positions that we are in, we are tested often, Pence said, adding that he didn't think a mask had been necessary. The White House has said that both Trump and Pence have trusted negative for coronavirus. Still, some medical experts and other critics accused Pence of poor judgment and of ignoring guidelines meant to protect the Mayo Clinic's patients and staff. Pence did wear a mask two days later when he toured a General Motors plant in Indiana that had been converted to produce ventilators. In another top story on today's Des Moines Register front page, virus kills man twice denied at ER. This is a story written by Austin Cannon. If life were fair, Kyle Brown and Pamela Denon deserved more time together. 
The Marshalltown couple had spent years overcoming personal obstacles and the physical distance between them. They celebrated three years of marriage in February. About two months later, in mid-April, Brown worked his final shift as a maintenance technician at TPI Composites in Newton. Brown, aged 54, died 12 days later on April 29th at a Des Moines hospital from COVID-19 complications. During those 12 days, Brown and Denon made five trips to healthcare providers. It took two visits to secure a test for the novel coronavirus. Brown's symptoms then worsened to the point where he couldn't speak. The couple made three drives to emergency rooms in Marshalltown and Newton. Twice, he was sent back home with Denon, even after nurses over the phone told her he needed treatment. Quote, it's hard not to wonder if he had been taken seriously earlier, if they had intervened sooner. Could his lungs have responded better, Denon asked? Could he maybe have been spared? I mean, nobody will ever know that. End quote. On the fifth trip, which was either April 23rd or 24th, the two days ran together, Denon said, Unity Point Health in Marshalltown admitted Brown after his blood oxygen levels dipped severely. At the end of the weekend, an air ambulance took him to Iowa Methodist Medical Center in Des Moines. Back in Marshalltown, Denon started to experience symptoms of her own. Dry coughs frequently interrupted her interview with the register on Friday. She's been left quarantined in her home, unable to grieve with friends and family lest they get sick. Quote, I haven't had a single hug, which is a really strange thing, she said. It's just really hard to have this loss and be sick and be quarantined all at the same time. I mean, it's a nightmare. Brown and Denon's relationship was bumpy early on, but not because they didn't love each other. They met on eHarmony, an online dating site. She lived in Chicago then and admits she ignored Brown at first because he lived in a different state. But she said he had eyes that, quote, were just so kind, end quote. Emails eventually turned into phone calls and in-person visits. Brown was honest about spending much of his adult life trapped in drug addiction, which eventually put him in prison. He told Denon how he found his faith as he walked through the prison yard one day. Quote, he got saved and he was instantly delivered of all his addictions, Denon said. He never had one withdrawal symptom, end quote. TPI hired him once he got out and he returned to living in Marshalltown. His work schedule gave him three-day weekends every other week, so he and Denon switched off who would visit whom for five years, she said. They married a year before moving in together. Denon suffered from severe back problems that put her in a wheelchair temporarily. They were already engaged, but they wed early so Denon could get on Brown's health insurance plan. She was again mobile after two years of intense physical therapy. After her youngest daughter moved out of their Chicago home, she joined Brown in Marshalltown in 2018. Three weeks later, a tornado ripped through the city. It did about $80,000 worth of damage to their home, but Denon said it was later fixed and the house is better than it was when she moved in. Quote, we were both living our dream, so to speak, Denon said. We both have been through a lot of heartache and heartbreak and just really tragic times, and we were both really healing to each other, end quote. Dean Lothers, Brown's friend since high school, lives on the same street as the couple. The two friends helped each other with house and yard work. Weeks ago, Brown told Lothers that with his job, house, and Denon, he felt like he'd won the lottery. Quote, I told him he had and he deserved it, Lothers said. Brown worked his last shift at TPI on April 17th. He felt a burning in his chest and was coughing. By the evening, he had a fever and severe body aches, Denon said. He tried to get a test the next day, but a Unity Point urgent care facility in Marshalltown denied him. He wrote on Facebook, because he was under 65 and not an employee at a meatpacking plant. His social media post drew more than 200 comments and 1,000 shares. 
The same day, he was able to secure a test at the Mercy One Medical Center in Newton, where other TPI employees had gone. Unity Point spokeswoman Laura Rainey said the healthcare provider follows testing guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Iowa Department of Public Health. According to IDPH protocols as of April 17th, the state hygienic laboratory would accept tests from patients if they were hospitalized with respiratory symptoms or a fever, over 60 with symptoms, and a chronic medical condition, any person with symptoms who lives in a congregate setting, or an essential worker with symptoms. Healthcare providers could, however, test a patient through a national laboratory without IDPH approval. Denon said her husband had worried about catching the virus at work. On April 13th, the Newton Daily News reported that two TPI employees had tested positive for the virus. TPI halted production temporarily at its Newton facility, which employs more than 1,000 workers, on April 24th, after 28 test employees tested positive. Quote, he had been exposed to many different people at TPI who ended up testing positive, Denon said. On Saturday, TPI announced that after testing nearly all of its Newton employees on April 25th, 20% of the tests, or roughly 200 people, came back positive for COVID-19. The Windblade manufacturer said it also deep-cleaned its plant. The company supplied surgical masks to its workers and their families to prevent community spread, TPI said, and secured hotel rooms for employees who tested negative so they could isolate. By April 20th, two days after Brown got his test, his condition had worsened. He couldn't talk without coughing, so Denon called the Unity Point Hospital in, in Marshalltown. She said a nurse she spoke to told her Brown's symptoms warranted a 911 call. Denon said no, she could bring him in. They arrived at the emergency room where Brown went inside while Denon waited in the car. She assumed he'd be admitted, but he came out three hours later. His blood oxygen level was measured at 95, considered too high to be admitted, Denon said. They went back home and he started to feel worse. He lost his appetite, and sitting up in bed triggered fatigue and coughing attacks. Quote, I can't describe the sounds he would make, Denon said. They were awful. They were the most awful thing to listen to, but doctors must have heard it because he couldn't do anything without making those sounds, end quote. Two days later, a nurse in Newton called with Brown's test results. She heard Brown coughing in the background, and like the Marshalltown nurse, urged Denon to bring him to the hospital, even offering to send an ambulance. But when he went to the Mercy One Hospital in Newton, it was the same story. Doctors saw Brown as Denon waited in the car outside. He texted her that they were discharging him, and she reached a doctor on the phone. The doctor told her his blood oxygen level was still above 90, and his cough was dry, part of the reasoning to send him back home. Quote, I just hung up on him because I was so angry, Denon said. Greg Legan, a spokesman for Mercy One, confirmed that doctors saw Brown on April 22nd, but he declined to offer more information, citing the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Brown was so tired after the trip to Newton that it took about 30 minutes to summon enough energy to get back into bed at home. His cousin dropped off a pulse oximeter so Denon could keep track of his oxygen levels at home. The reading soon dropped below 90, eventually to 86. It was time for the third trip to the ER. Quote, he just almost started to cry, Denon said. He's like, they won't help me. They won't do anything for me, end quote. When they arrived again at the Unity Point ER in Marshalltown, Denon stayed by her husband's side, insisting to the staff that they take him in. She wasn't taking no for an answer this time, and the hospital admitted him. Legan and Rainey both said their hospitals are following patient screening guidelines from the CDC and IDPH. Quote, the decision to monitor a patient in the inpatient or outpatient setting 
should be made on a case-by-case -case basis, the CDC wrote on its website. This decision will depend on the clinical presentation, requirement for supportive care, potential risk factors for severe disease, and the ability for the patient to self-isolate at home, end quote. Because of HIPAA, Rainey said she, he, she couldn't confirm or deny that Brown was a Unity Point patient. Quote, our thoughts and prayers go out to all the individuals and families dealing with this illness, Rainey said in a statement. That's why it's extremely important to help stop the spread of the disease by washing your hands, wearing a mask, and social distancing, end quote. Brown died around 3 a.m. on Wednesday after he was taken to Des Moines. He had been sedated and put on a ventilator. Denon was still in Marshalltown, sicker than she's ever been. She's so far not having trouble breathing, so she plans to write it out. Friends have told her to go to a hospital, but after her experience with her husband, she figures she also won't be admitted. Denon told the Marshalltown Times Republican that state guidelines for patients could be the culprit. Quote, it was a very, very frustrating string of events, she said. Lothers said he understands the hospitals have protocols, but he said it, quote, boggled his mind, end quote, that it took so long for Brown to be admitted. Quote, I don't understand why they wouldn't make an exception and take him in, he said. A memorial or remembrance service will have to wait. Even though she's alone, Denon said her church family at Restore Church in Marshalltown is keeping an eye on her and her symptoms. Denon said if she does get sicker, there's a plan to get her to the hospital in Ames. In a story by Mark Emmert, today's Des Moines Register also explores a rural county's battle with COVID-19. Washington County consists of 571 square miles of land, 22,000 people, and a diverse range of occupations. In this rural Iowa community are doctors and nurses who commute to nearby Iowa City, laborers at a meatpacking plant in adjacent Loiza County, dozens of Amish farm families, and one hospital. The medical community knew in early March that the COVID-19 pandemic would present a unique challenge for a county that includes six heavily traveled highways and a less mobile but more vulnerable segment of its population that is 65 and older, 19.3%. The first case of the novel coronavirus was detected in Washington County on March 18th, with 100 more following in the next four weeks, according to state data. The respiratory ailment showed up in employees of the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics and of the Tyson meatpacking plant at the McCready Nursing Home and in smaller pockets throughout the country, county. As of Saturday, seven elderly residents from Washington County have died from COVID-19, the state reported. But Washington County hospitals and clinics, which has 22 beds and just one ventilator, never became overwhelmed by the coronavirus. By late April, the number of cases in the county was no longer jumping exponentially. No new cases were reported on either April 22nd or 23rd. There have been 148 total cases as of Saturday. On the same day, the state reported that 111 of the people with COVID-19 in the county had fully recovered. Local people aren't ready to say Washington County has weathered the worst of a pandemic that is still slamming other parts of the state. But there is a sense that a proactive medical community combined with citizens willing to do their part has perhaps provided a model for flattening the upward curve of the spread of the coronavirus. Quote, the whole goal is to look like we overreacted, said Danielle Pettit-Majewski, who has served as Washington County's public health administrator for the past seven years. Quote, that means what we're doing is working, end quote. Here's a closer look at how the coronavirus was diagnosed and managed in Washington County the past seven weeks. The first Iowa cases of COVID-19 showed up in Johnson County on March 8th. That was a clear signal that Washington County, just south of Johnson, 
and considered part of Iowa City's metropolitan area needed to be on guard. Quote, part of being in a rural community is you travel to other areas for work, for health care, for entertainment, Pettit Majewski noted. So be before everything was kind of shut down, that was really an excellent opportunity for us to have an additional exposure to the coronavirus, end quote. At the local hospital in the county seat of Washington, Chief Executive Officer Todd Patterson activated an, quote, incident command team, end quote. On March 12th, Patterson unveiled a respiratory triage clinic where all employees and patients have been screened for COVID-19 before entering ever since. Patterson and Pettit Majewski both said those actions were key to limiting the spread of the virus in their community. Pettit Majewski was an advocate for aggressive testing for the novel coronavirus from the beginning. It helped that her local hospital and those in Iowa City had the capacity to do that. She was not surprised to see her small county be among the state's leaders in COVID-19 cases early on. By Saturday, Washington County had conducted 746 tests more than two-thirds of them done at the county hospital, where the turnaround time is now 48 hours. Quote, we had more of a gradual growth, which I feel like gave us an opportunity to learn, Pettit Majewski said. When we did see the, these increased case counts, we had about a three-week head start in figuring out the forms, figuring out the questions, figuring out the protocols. In some way, I'm almost grateful that we had cases earlier. End quote. What Pettit Majewski learned is that the symptoms commonly associated with COVID-19, fever, cough, shortness of breath, were too limited. Some residents tested positive without ever reporting a high temperature. Others thought their runny nose was just a sign of seasonal allergies, only to find out they had the coronavirus. Some COVID-19 patients complained primarily of diarrhea or the loss of their sense of smell and taste. Quote, seeing how differently it impacted each person was helpful, Pettit Majewski said. Quote, you could kind of go through those young sur these surprises case by case rather than going through all those surprises when you're being inundated with new cases, end quote. Once a Washington County resident had been diagnosed with COVID-19, Pettit Majewski and one of her staff nurses embarked on the so-called detective work involved in identifying who else that person could have exposed to the virus. Such so-called contact tracing has been vital in slowing the spread of the illness, Pettit Majewski said. She will let that patient's health care provider notify the patient of the positive test and follow up with a call to get a list of family members and coworkers. Those reporting symptoms of the coronavirus are urged to remain in isolation as if they have COVID-19. In a county where a little more than 10% of households speak a language other than English, Pettit Majewski said she feels fortunate to have an interpreter on staff to make the contact tracing more complete. Patterson said the hospital could house four to seven COVID-19 patients daily, depending on the severity of the patient's illness. Its single ventilator has not yet been pressed into service to fight the disease. Quote, the sickest of our patients have been transferred out of our facility, he said in an email response to questions from the register. Patterson said, quote, a handful, end quote, of hospital workers have tested positive for COVID-19. Those workers were sent home with pay to isolate themselves. Other staffers were retrained and reassigned to cover those absences, he said. The availability of personal protective equipment for hospital workers has been an issue throughout the country. But officials at the Washington County Hospital have worked with local health officials and gotten donations from businesses and schools in the county 
to maintain enough gear to avoid having to reuse any except for regularly laundered gowns, Patterson said. The virus has brought another change. Patterson said his facility had never had the ability to offer telehealth services before. Now it does. A change in state law allows that for now, allows that for now, and he said, quote, remote access to health care visits has been used significantly, end quote, during the pandemic. That has enabled doctors to screen patients for treatment options without patients needing to set foot in the hospital. Those reporting respiratory problems can be directed to the triage area for COVID-19 assessment. Washington County saw its biggest spike in the coronavirus from April 10th to 15th, with 31 new cases reported. That coincided with an outbreak of the disease in the Columbus Junction Tyson plant in neighboring Louisa County. The disease appears to be on the wane locally since that spike. Pettit Majewski praised the county's 700 business owners for following state guidelines to either temporarily shut down, as the Tyson plant did for a few weeks, or to install plexiglass barriers to minimize direct contact between workers and customers. Many local religious leaders have also adopted to providing services online to allow people to keep social distance from other congregants. But virtual services weren't an option in the Amish community, for whom Christian faith is important, but modern technology is not. Pettit Majewski said Amish leaders have been reaching out for guidance on how to safely gather for religious services. She has been stressing the need for social distancing, but could tell that there was a limit to how long that devout community would be willing to forego religious gatherings. She was worried the Amish might start tuning her out. Pettit Majewski was heartened to hear that last Sunday the Amish found a safe solution. They worshipped outdoors while remaining in their buggies, spaced at least six feet apart. Quote, people took it seriously, she said of her county's reaction to COVID-19 warnings in general. They took action and were seeing the benefit of that. End quote. In other state news, Barbara Rodriguez of The Register reports six residents at state-run Iowa Facility for People with Disabilities test positive for COVID-19. None had symptoms before testing. Six residents have tested positive for COVID-19 at a state-run Iowa facility that treats people with disabilities, a number that has jumped in recent days. None of the residents at the Woodward Resource Center had symptoms related to COVID-19 before they were tested, state officials said. The residents tested positive for the virus in the span of roughly a week, according to the Iowa Department of Human Services officials. Three employees at the multi-building campus have also tested positive during that time. Matt Highland, a spokesman for the department, said on Sunday that all six COVID-19 cases among residents are tied to one home on campus. The home's residents were tested after one resident had a positive test. Highland said five of the residents who were tested were asymptomatic, meaning they did not have COVID-19 symptoms like a fever, cough, or shortness of breath. The first resident who tested positive for COVID-19 also did not have related symptoms, according to a letter sent to guardians and families late last month and obtained by the Des Moines Register. Quote, this individual was otherwise asymptomatic, but needed medical services, which is where the test occurred, Diane Stout, assistant superintendent at the center, wrote in a letter on April 25th, before also noting that the individual, quote, is not currently on campus, end quote. Stout also said the resident would be retested through the State Hygienic Laboratory in Coralville, the state's main location for COVID-19 testing. She did not explain why the resident was being retested. Stout, in a second letter to guardians and families dated Thursday and also obtained by the register, said the department began contact tracing with staff going back 14 days from when the first presumptive positive test results were received. 
That is the process of tracking every person that may have been in contact with an infected person. Highland told the Register on Sunday that DHS is working on getting more COVID-19 testing on the campus. Residential services are provided on the campus for at least 180 people with intellectual disabilities and other related disabilities, according to the department. The residents are considered some of the most vulnerable individuals under state care. The Iowa Department of Human Services alerted the public on Monday that a resident had presumptively tested positive for COVID-19, marking the first known case of a resident there with the respiratory illness. On Friday, the department confirmed that an initial two residents had tested positive for the virus. On Saturday, that total jumped to six. Mary Hodap, Director of Social Services at the Woodward Resource Center sent an email to guardians and families telling them results had come in during that morning that confirmed an additional three residents had tested positive for COVID-19. The register obtained that email. Residents who tested positive that have been moved to separate on-campus housing as part of the facility's protocol to mitigate the spread of the virus. People who have pending COVID-19 test results are already placed in isolation before results come in as a precaution. Highland said. Ten residents in the home where the virus spread tested negative for the virus. The home has been thoroughly cleaned, Highland said. As of Sunday, Highland said three center employees have tested positive for the virus and 14 have tested negative. Test results for four employees are pending. DHS oversees six facilities. To date, eight employees at five different facilities have tested positive for COVID-19. There are no known cases of COVID-19 among residents at the other five facilities. Today's register also includes an AP story with national focus but implications for Iowa. It's titled, Pandemic Hammers Renewable Energy. The U.S. renewable energy industry is reeling from the new coronavirus pandemic, which has delayed construction, put thousands of skilled laborers out of work, and sowed doubts about solar and wind projects on the drawing board. In lockdown California, some local agencies that issue permits for new work close temporarily, and some solar companies furloughed installers. In New York and New Jersey, SunPower CEO Thomas Warner halted installation of more than 400 residential solar systems, fearing for his workers' safety. As many as 120,000 jobs in solar and 35,000 in wind could be lost, trade groups say. Quote, there are many smaller companies going out of business as we speak, said Abigail Ross Hopper, president of the Solar Energy Industries Association. Quote, up to half our jobs are at risk, end quote. Leaders are confident the future is bright, but the worldwide slowdown is delaying a transition to cleaner energy that scientists say is not happening quickly enough to curtail climate change. Even as some states move toward reopening, executives fear diminished incomes and work disrupted by layoffs and social distancing will do lasting damage. The wind industry is plagued by slowdowns in obtaining parts from overseas, getting them to job sites, and constructing new turbines. Quote, the industry was on a tremendous roll right up until the last month or two, said Tom Kiernan, the CEO of the American Wind Energy Association. That reversal is stunning and problematic, end quote. Residential solar business has been hit especially hard, Hopper said, with door-to-door -door sales no longer feasible and potential customers watching their wallets. Deals with commercial buyers also have slumped. New social installations could be 17% lower worldwide than expected this year, and wind turbine manufacturing could fall up to 20%, according to consulting firm Wood McKenzie. Quote, pre-pandemic, there were great dreams and aspirations for a record-setting year, said Paul Gaynor, 
CEO of Long Road Energy, a utility wind and solar developer. I'm not sure, I'm sure we're not going to have that, end quote. Fossil fuels such as natural gas and coal remain the leading providers of the nation's electricity, with nuclear power another key contributor, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. But renewable sources, wind, solar, hydroelectric, biomass, and geothermal, have jumped in the last decade as production costs have fallen and many states have ordered utilities to make greater use of renewable energy to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Renewables produced nearly one-fifth of the country's energy last year. The Department of Energy predicts renewable energy, despite recent setbacks, will grow 11 percent this year, an indication of the sector's strong surge before the economy tanked. Meanwhile, coal-fired power is expected to decline 20 percent and gas generation to grow just 1%. The setback for renewable energy still has been painful, even in California, where residential solar demand took off due to frequent blackouts and state laws requiring to new homes to produce as much energy as they consume. Quote, a lot of companies are just trying everything they can to just limp along and keep their workforce, said Bernadette Delciaro, executive director of the California Solar and Stoller Association. That's California Solar and Storage Association. All 20 employees were temporarily furloughed at Cinnamon Energy Systems, which sells residential and commercial solar systems in Northern California. Quote, I'm sure we'll bounce back, just smaller, CEO Barry Cinnamon said, adding that people might not spend as much as they once did because their income will likely be down. Quote, whether that's month or years, nobody knows, end quote. Luminalt, a San Francisco solar company, furloughed most of its 40 employees. And when work resumes, CEO Janine Cotter expects that projects will take longer and cost more to keep installers safe. Quote, think about working on a roof with a mask, Cotter said, and think about not being able to pass a power tool to somebody unless you disinfect it before you pass it on, end quote. Since his furlough in mid-March, Luminalt solar technician Tom Hicks has been collecting benefits but no salary. He's worried about mortgage payments. Quote, my 401k got crushed by 30%, just like everyone else, said Hicks, 55. How much time do I have to recover? End quote. Still, there are hopeful signs. The Boston-based developer Long Road recently began a utility-scale solar project in California and secured new financing for another in Texas. Sunova Energy International, a Houston-based residential solar and energy storage service provider, is doing more video conferencing and fewer in-person dealings with customers. But CEO John Berger said, quote, our installations are still moving ahead, service is still moving ahead, and we still see customers paying us, end quote. In eastern Kansas, construction has continued at Southern Power's 200-megawatt reading wind facility, despite delayed parts shipments, company spokeswoman Helen Northcutt-White said. 62 turbines are planned for the facility, scheduled to go online in mid-May. The wind and solar in industries have asked lawmakers and federal agencies for help, including an extension of their four-year deadlines for completing projects without losing tax benefits. Similar assistance was granted during the 2008-2009 recession. The renewable energy industry's health is crucial to improving the climate and to a strong economic recovery, said Matthew Davis, legislative director for the League of Conservation Voters. Quote, these businesses, these workers deserve immediately, immediate relief, Davis said. It's important to push for more responsible energy use as the economy reopens worldwide, said Andrew Pershing, chief scientific officer with Gulf of Maine Research Institute in Portland, Maine, which studies climate change and oceans. 
quote, my hope is that we would use this as an opportunity to build toward an economy that doesn't depend on burning coal and oil and that is more resilient to the climate impacts that are heading our way, Pershing said. In local news, Robin Opsall of the Des Moines Register reports on that non-accidental bruises, scratches on child, lead to Ankeny mother's arrest, according to court documents. An Ankeny woman was arrested on suspicions of child endangerment Sunday following reports of injuries in March. Brianna Carol Henderson, age 28, was arrested around 3 a.m. Sunday and released later that morning. Henderson was charged with child endangerment through bodily injury, a Class D felony in Iowa. Police issued a warrant for the mother on April 3rd following the report that Henderson's non-mobile infant child had scratches and bruises on his body on March 10th. The injuries were caused by, quote, non-accidental trauma, end quote, according to court documents. A no-contact order in place with the child is now in place for Henderson. Her initial hearing is scheduled for 8 a.m. July 2nd at the Polk County Criminal Courts building. And in other local news, as coronavirus separates families, one daughter surprises parents with violinist for 65th anniversary. It may not be a replacement for spending time with family, but having a violinist perform was a nice alternative Sunday for a couple celebrating their upcoming anniversary at a senior living center in Johnston. Gordon, aged 89, and Shirley Blenderman, aged 87, live in Edencrest at Green Meadows, a senior housing community in Johnston. The couple is celebrating their 65th wedding anniversary this June, Susan Babcock, assistant manager at the facility, said, which means in a normal year, their family would come celebrate the occasion. Marcy Davidson, their daughter, arranged for a violinist who performs under the name The One Woman Symphony to play at Edencrest for her parents and the other residents. Babcock said the Blenderman's family and others have been finding ways to keep in touch with their senior relatives as social distancing practices advise restricting gatherings and try to protect vulnerable populations, which include people over age 65. In addition to a violinist, a flutist has also played at the Senior Living Center, and families are preparing for a drive-by parade on Mother's Day weekend. The events are interspersed between many FaceTime and Zoom calls, letters and chats through the window, Babcock said. Quote, we know this is a challenging time, and we try to be there for families and our residents to make sure people's spirits stay high, she said. It's important to stay in touch and stay positive, and having music here is such an enjoyable way for everyone to celebrate while staying safe, end quote. In other state news, Clinton County motorcycle crash kills two Saturday afternoon. Two people died when the motorcycle they were riding veered off the road and crashed into a fence. Clinton County Sheriff's Department Sergeant Scott Rahons said the crash happened around 4.15 p.m. Saturday afternoon. Deputies who responded to the crash found that a motorcycle had left the road and struck a farm fence in a field. Both of the people on the motorcycle died at the scene of the crash. Their names were not immediately released. In Metro and Iowa news, Cody Goodwin of the Register reports garden centers see business blooming during pandemic. A lot of businesses have shuttered due to the novel coronavirus pandemic, but the business of plants is in full bloom. Nurseries and garden centers deemed essential by state authorities have seen an uptick in business, even beyond the usual busy spring season. It's forced owners to get creative in the way they serve customers while emphasizing safety. Many have turned to online or call-in orders for curbside pickup. Some, like Busy Bee Garden Center in Indianola, even offer delivery. Quote, the curbside pickup has run us ragged just trying to keep up with it, said John Good of Good Greenhouses. We were actually concerned it would go the other way, 
where there would be much, much less business, end quote. Good and his peers have tackled the change in various ways. They wipe their carts and wear face masks. They push social distancing efforts when folks are in the store. Piney Ridge Greenhouse in Johnston designated its first business hour for at-risk customers, a common practice among larger retailers like Target and Walmart since the coronavirus pandemic began. Kenoyer Garden Center, with locations in Grimes and Ankeny, has maintained 11-hour days for those who still want to walk through the store. Quote, I didn't want to condense the same amount of people into a smaller amount of time, owner Kyle Kenoyer said. Quote, instead of Saturdays and Sundays being crazy, a normal Monday or Tuesday has a little more traffic but not to the point where there's too many people in the store, end quote. The garden rush comes as Iowa's COVID-19 cases have escalated. Positive cases in Iowa stand at 9,169 and deaths at 184 as of Sunday, according to information from the State Department of Public Health. In Polk County alone, 1,476 people had tested positive as of Sunday. Iowa loosened restrictions Friday in 77 of Iowa's 99 counties, where little to no coronavirus activity was reported over a two-week span. The 22 other counties, including Polk and Dallas, will remain under restrictions through May 15th. Quote, we must learn to live with COVID virus activity without letting it govern our lives, Governor Kim Reynolds said in an April 27th press conference when she discussed the state's reopening plans. Plenty have turned to gardening as a way to, quote, alleviate stress, be physically active, practice social distancing, all while providing a safe, healthy food source for you and your family, said Chelsea Soder, owner of Busy Bee Garden Center in Indianola, in an online letter to customers. Some people want to rely less on supply chains, which has led to increased sales of vegetable and herb plants and seeds, Knoyer said. Quote, a mother called and said, I want to teach my daughter to garden vegetables and herbs. We've never done this. Can you recommend something? I think some people want to try their hand at their own stuff, Knoyer said. It's awesome. End quote. Today's register also includes a salute to nurses, tough challenges on the front line of the COVID-19 crisis. This is written by Laura Rowley. Iowa nurses are the frontline heroes in the COVID-19 pandemic. The crisis is posing enormous challenges for their work routines, relationships with patients, and personal lives, and inspiring a new respect and appreciation among the public for their commitment and sacrifice. Iowa has lagged behind other states in COVID-19 infections. Still, safety is an enormous concern as hospitals across the nation face shortages of personal protective equipment. On April 7th, the Iowa Department of Public Health reported that more than one-fifth of positive COVID-19 diagnoses are among the state's health care workers. Quote, infection prevention is a top priority of any caregiver at all times, said Tracy Haggerty, nurse manager at Mercy One Waterloo Medical Center. An event like this is a strong reminder of the constant high-level attention necessary throughout the entire day to keep patients and colleagues safe. Something as simple as pushing an elevator button makes you stop and think about the number of people coming and going within the hospital on a daily basis, end quote. In addition, nurses must navigate changing roles and quickly master new skills such as telehealth consultations in a highly stressful environment. Nurses in COVID-19 hotspots across the country are reporting long hours and a relentless pace as patients flood hospitals. They must collaborate in new ways, working side by side to treat numerous critically ill patients simultaneously. Quote, our nurses continue to care with compassion, skill, and dignity, said Cindy Penny, chief nursing officer at Mercy One Des Moines Medical Center. The fact that they come to work each day to provide nursing care to those in need hasn't changed, 
but the circumstances they provide that care in have changed significantly. Many have volunteered to be part of the core team that cares for COVID-19 patients. I'm so proud of how our nurses have come together as one to support all patients, their families, and each other during this crisis. Brian Feist, Injury Prevention and Trauma Outreach Coordinator at Iowa Methodist Medical Center, was recently moved to the hospital's redeployment pool and asked to help with disaster preparation. Quote, I value my fellow nurses working in acute care in the emergency room, intensive care unit, and all our floors who intentionally place themselves in harm's way to help those in need, he said. Nurses across the country say the distancing measures required of COVID-19 are posing unique challenges to care. Family members can't visit. Routine interactions, such as helping patients brush their teeth, wash their hair, or just chat about their lives, have to be set aside and comfort given from a distance. Quote, that's the hardest, to not have that connection in the hospital, to not bring families in, said Elizabeth Fuchsen, head of trauma services for Unity Point. Nurses are making, quote, many efforts to connect patients with loved ones through technology, she added, even if it's as simple as a phone call, said Penny. Quote, the current circumstances have led to innovative uses of technology to assist with communication. Tablets and other devices are being used to reduce the number of times caregivers need to enter individual patient rooms. This not only reduces the risk of exposure and transmission of the virus, it also helps conserve PPE so that we always have it available when needed. Technology is also being used to help patients connect with their family and loved ones during this time of restricted visitation. End quote. Fuchsen said the crisis remain, reminds her of a critically ill patient she encountered years ago who did not have any family members in the state. The nursing, nursing staff worked closely with him to ensure his wishes were documented and fulfilled so he had choices in the end in his end-of-life care. They also made sure he did not die alone. Quote, whether it's a nurse, doctor, or care technician, knowing someone is there with them so they are not alone is so important, she said. Hagerty agreed. Quote, the availability of our clergy and others to make phone calls and use technology such as iPads to foster communication between the patient and their families is so valuable, she said. Meanwhile, the COVID-19 crisis is increasing the public's appreciation of the nursing vocation. Residents are applauding and cheering nurses and other providers from their windows and balconies, bringing meals to hospitals and donating funds to secure PPE supplies. Some businesses are offering special discounts to healthcare workers. I opened up Google, and the doodle was a healthcare worker with a mask and headlamp with a heart and the words, quote, to all doctor, nurse, doctors, nurses, and medical workers, thank you, said Fuchsen. Quote, this crisis has created a deeper appreciation of healthcare workers and their choice to go into the profession. Internally, I think it strengthened the bond between healthcare workers who are joining together to help each other through. End quote. Feist agreed. Quote, every morning, our parking lot is as full as ever with incredibly selfless healthcare professionals, he said. It does my heart good, knowing these are my people. End quote. Returning to local news in today's Register, Austin Cannon reports that Register Pulitzer winner Nick Kotz dies in an accident. Nick Kotz, a former Des Moines Register reporter who won a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting on the meatpacking industry, died Sunday at his home in Virginia at age 87. The Washington Post which also employed Cots, reported that he had stopped his car in his driveway to retrieve an item from the back seat. The car then rolled backward and hit him. Cots won the Pulitzer Prize for national reporting in 1968, the year after he published a series of stories exposing dangerous, unsanitary conditions at some of the nation's meatpacking plants. Some facilities, he wrote, 
were able to avoid federal inspection entirely. The Pulitzer Board wrote that his reporting, which he did while working at the Register's Washington, D.C. Bureau, helped ensure the passage of the Federal Wholesome Meat Act of 1967. End quote. The Post reported that Cotts was invited to President Lyndon B. Johnson's bill signing, along with Upton Sinclair, who documented the horrendous slaughterhouse conditions in his 1906 book, The Jungle. Cotts reported for the Register from 1958 through 1970. After leaving the Post, he wrote several books and taught journalism at American University. And Elijah Deschius of The Messenger reports Tiny Gowrie's Lone Grocery Store finally back in business. After months of anticipation, a vision has come to fruition with Market on Market, the new and improved store that will allow Gowrie to once again shop locally for their most basic need, groceries. With a solid month of elbow grease from new manager Larry Roper, his wife Mary, and several dedicated volunteers, the old Jamboree Foods has once again become a potentially viable business, the first of its kind to rise back up after a domino effect series of closures for Heartland Market stores in surrounding rural areas. Quote, we've gotten a lot done and saw a lot of success in the last five weeks, said Tom Schill, board member of Gowrie Grocery, LLC. Quote, this thing has been dragged in the dirt twice, Larry Roper told the Fort Dodge Messenger, describing his first impression of the property's former Jamboree Foods shell. Now in market on market, they can see their reflection in the apples. The new manager said that customers will immediately notice the fresh look as well as the fresh meat, produce and wider selection with competitive pricing. Quote, this town, what they want is good prices and fresh, Roper said. That's their two main complaints with the previous store. We've already changed that, end quote. He said his pride in a, quote, grand opening look every day, end quote, will keep the place looking fresh long after the soft opening today. In addition to fresh paint, the store has repaired holes and structural damage and cleaned floors, cases, and shelves, some of which were left in bad shape. The liquor section has been moved to the front. Soon, roasted chicken will be back and more meat selection will be added as the deli and meat departments expand. Renovation on the area behind the wall in the center of the store will be complete within three to six months, the manager estimates, bringing with it more shelf space that will allow for greater variety of dry goods like detergent and paper products. Seasonally, the store plans to procure fresh produce from local farmers. Quote, there's going to be things that people have never seen in the store before, he said, detailing more product selection, particularly in the frozen and dairy sections. Quote, Larry is always looking forward, Schill said. We're excited and fortunate he's come to us, end quote. And even with the selection, the prices will be much cheaper than before. In many cases, item pricing was on par with the big chain stores in Fort Dodge. Quote, I'm a firm believer that a fast nickel is better than a slow dime, Roper said. Those dollars pay the bills. That's how I was brought up, end quote. That lesson still holds true today, even as the landscape for grocery stores changes, Mary Roper said. And for those worried about incoming competitor Dollar General, she said her husband's experience can shore up the chances of success even more. Quote, my husband used to be a manager for them, Mary Roper said. He's got their number, end quote. Quote, I've gone up against the big boys, Larry Roper said. I know what they do, and I'll go after their weaknesses, end quote. But what's more is that in a landscape of rural grocery, where many small towns have given up on hope in the viability of a for-profit business, the new manager and board are confident in their ability to succeed. As other food desert towns look for models that would allow them to break even in the new stores replacing the closed ones, Market on Market is planning to turn a profit. Larry Roper boasts experience in a variety of large chain competitors and smaller independent stores, 
including one store where he turned double-digit losses into double-digit sales gains. Quote, this is the community's store, he said. They wanted to keep their store, and they did. End quote. Quote, it's nice to see communities bond together and pick it back up, Schill said. It took a village, but a bold investment may soon pay dividends. And that does it for the first hour of the Register on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. Up next, we'll give a shout-out to all our listeners who are celebrating a birthday today. I'm your reader, Paula Carezzi. Thank you for listening.